Hello and welcome everyone to Embracing Crazy. I'm Tarl Corrin. Well, today is an extra special treat for me, my friend and pretty much family member at this point, Justin Michael Williams, is joining me in conversation today. Justin Michael Williams is an author, a transformational speaker, and now a top 20 recording artist. Uh, he is an incredible man at the forefront and the intersection of mindfulness, meditation, racial justice, and all good things. Uh, he is an incredible inspirational leader uh, to many people and to myself. Justin and I met around five years ago, I believe, and he found us through a mutual friend, Sadie Nardini, who uh, is a yoga leader and dear friend of ours. And he met us because we were creating an album with her uh, along this flagship program my brother and I created called The Songwriter's Journey that we do to this day with many people from all around the world. And Justin heard what she was creating and asked her, well, who are you working with? And we met each other and we began creating an album, actually Justin's first album of music. Uh, it went on to become an album called Metamorphosis, which he put out. And from never having put out music before uh, to his first album going top 20, um, he had articles in Billboard and all these places and really got to live out a dream of his that he had had since he was a little kid, uh, which he'll talk to, to us in this episode about. And it was just such an amazing thing to be a part of that with Justin. And ever since then, we've been doing things in the world together. And I thought, of course, as soon as I start this podcast, I have to be in conversation with Justin around what it's taken for him to embrace crazy in his life coming through what he went through uh, from growing up with, which he'll tell you about, gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window. Uh, to sharing the stage now with, you know, Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra and so many incredible people in the wellness world that Justin is now joined next to. Uh, like I said, he's an author and a transformational speaker, and he just released his new, incredible, groundbreaking book, Stay Woke. I love how Justin puts it, that Stay Woke, his book, is a meditation guide for the rest of us. After hearing Justin's story today, maybe I can imagine most of you will want to go and order a copy of that. So today in the conversation, we really dive into what it, what it takes to reconcile your shadows. Uh, we really go into trauma and trauma response. And what happens to our biology when after trauma that wasn't dealt with, organized or digested, that our bodies and our minds tend to go into polarity either into chaos or rigidity, and sometimes swing between both. We really deep dive into Justin's story, where he came from, um, what he had to come through, and what kind of man it made him, and how he embraced the crazies he went through to become the leader he is today. And last but not least, Justin and I jam on the dis-ease of perfectionism and perfection-seeking uh, Justin tells us about his eating disorders, which is an amazing share. And we really open up into a conversation on the misery of perfectionism and how it's really fed from the feeling of not feeling good enough and never feeling enough. So without further ado, I bring you my friend, Justin Michael Williams.
Justin Michael Williams, welcome to the podcast. It's I can't even begin to tell you what an honor it is to have you, my brother, on Embracing Crazy. Thank you for being with me today. It's a big love, man. It's a big love. I'm so excited that, that you're doing this and that your voice is being heard in all the ways that it is right now. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, I've been thinking about you ever since the idea of beginning this podcast came up. I was like, Justin, you have to join me in in this conversation. And knowing each other for a number of years now um, through our experience around voice and music, your music, uh, and over the years, over the last three, four, five years, we've done so many things in the world together. And I can't think of anyone that's so so clear about what it means to embrace their crazy in their life, to come through the things that you've come through, and to be a living gift of the work that you've discovered along the way. You know, I like to say that you've left a beautiful crack in a door for people to uh, follow you through if it calls them. And so thank you. let's explore that today. Uh, I wanted to start at the beginning. I wanted to really go back to the Justin that you've told me a little bit about. But going back to that young Justin, um, what did it feel like? You know, how did, how did this all begin for you? What was life like when you first uh, came to life as a kid? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I actually don't have a lot of memories from, like, early, early, early childhood. Like, I, I think much of it is just somehow blocked out or I just have a bad memory. Like, <laughs> one of the two. But I think the, the thing that feels most relevant and I think important to say is, you know, we all grew up with some kind of trauma, all of us, no matter how much money you have, what kind of privilege you have, everybody has their own flavor of conditioning to, to grow up from. And I, I think that's why people are listening. That's how we get the crazy, right? This is a part of how we get the crazy. Totally. And, you know, for me, um, I grew up with a lot of love in my family. Like my family was such a paradox. Like I grew up on the one hand, my family being like, you can be anything you want in the world. Like we love you so much. And like, here's Justin, like the golden child who can do no wrong. And then at the same time, you know, I'm in a house where I'm having to hide because I'm gay, but I'm in the closet and my family doesn't accept that at all, yeah. you know? And uh, growing up super heavily involved in church and like, so that being so taboo of, of my sexuality. And, and on top of that, you know, with domestic violence in the house and in a home, literally like there are gunshot holes on the outside of the house that I grew up in where yeah. like when I give people the image sometimes, like I'll never forget one of my sister's friends had come over once and we're, I'm like playing video games and people are eating dinner. My mom's cooking. And then like somebody starts driving by and they're shooting. And we all just like, my mom goes duck and we all duck. And then like get back up and start playing video games again. Like, like totally adapted. And my sister's friend is like completely traumatized. And you know, the reason why <laughs> I'm just thinking now, if somebody drove by with gunshots, I'd probably be in therapy for a year. So I was much more <laughs> resilient as a child, I think. Yeah. But the the truth of it, Torald, is um, the paradox was really fascinating because on the one hand, I'm being told, we love you so much. You're amazing. We're doing everything for you. And I knew that to be true, like that was true. And at the same time, what I knew to be true is that there was a part of me in the shadow that was completely what I believed to be unlovable, 
a part of me that should never be seen, a part of me that no one should know about, like my sexuality, about everybody thinking we have this amazing family. And meanwhile, my mom's getting her ass beat at home, you know, and my dad's beating his wives and the alcoholism and all the stuff. And so there's all this stuff in the shadow. And so what do you do with that to reconcile that as a kid? You know, it's really hard for those of us who have that. Absolutely. And, you know, talk about, talk about so many traumas all at once, you know, I'm, uh, how do we digest them? You know, that's the way I like to look at it. It's like, how do we digest the things that happen to us? You know, and when they, when they go undigested, you know, in a simple way, uh, we could say that they, they become wounds, right? They become unhealed, you know, the scab never got to form, yeah. you know, nature never got allowed air, oxygen and time and healing for it to happen because they, they couldn't be digested at such a young time. Yeah. Um, well, you know, can I add something here? Please. So like I've been teaching a lot about trauma lately in my community because, you know, it's just a big part of what's inside of everyone's shadow and, and our communities, like people who are interested in like growth and human development and all of this, we love thinking about biohacking and thinking positive and listening to podcasts and reading the books and all the growth. But so few of us want to spend as much time or energy digging into our shadow. And when I say shadow, what that really means is anything in your life at, in which you have not cast the light of awareness onto. And yeah. so like, when we don't do that, you know, we become like these kind of puppets like marionette and like the, we think we're free, but it's really the marionette strings that are of our past, of our trauma, kind of like controlling how we move in the world. But we think we're free, but we don't know that these strings are there. And so I tell people, if they really want to be free, you have to like make a commitment to look at some of this unresolved trauma. And when you, the reason I thought of this right now is because when you said digestible, like it's so... Mm it's so relatable when you think of it that way, because just like food, like if you have food that you can digest easily, you don't even have to think about it. It goes, it assimilates into every part of your body that it needs and everything's fine. But if you digest food that your body doesn't know how to organize, it's like a huge trauma on your body, right? We eliminate, we throw up, we this, we that. And so all trauma really is, is any experience that you don't know how to organize, that your brain doesn't know how to organize. And that can be big things and little things. And so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot in there for so many of us. Oh my God. And, you know, so in, 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 in my language around behavior, you know, to me, the diseases and dysfunctions in the mind and body occur, right? When those wounds, those traumas go undigested and partially, you know the 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 thing that that keeps us from being able to digest it is our ability to to organize it, like you said, our ability to go. I see this for what it is. This hurts. Let me feel it, yeah. and then let my body and my mind deal with it appropriately over the course of a period of time until I can say, you know what, that's okay. Like that hurt, but now I can grow. When you're seven, six, five, when there's gunshot wounds, when you're you know when you're being you're told to duck you know, in between playing games, you know, when you're seeing domestic violence, when you have determined and given the meaning, hey, I'm I'm not lovable, there's a part of me that is not okay in my sexuality. You know, these are things that as a young kid, it'd be safe to say you couldn't digest real time. Yeah. 
right? And so maybe right then and there, that's where the shadow happens. That's where that's where the the wound grows. It's, it's the undigested trauma that couldn't that couldn't be dealt with real time. And so, in that capacity, you know what what would you say? You know, as you gathered these shadows, you know what happened as you grew into you know your teenage years. How did you take it with you? What did would you make it mean? Mm. How did it come with you? <laughs> so okay, dude, the, your questions are so pointed. It's so amazing um, because there. So I'll say this, that'll give context to teenage years, I think for so many of us. So I, I'm i like, people will know that I'm half woo-woo. Like I have my crystals and like all the things and I'm half a total science nerd, like neuroscience, brain science, psychology. And when we study actual trauma, like what we know is if something is not organized properly, it shows up in our lives as either rigidity or chaos. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two approaches that science says that you go as a, as a way to try to cope as a coping strategy for trauma. And so rigidity, you know, I know you have a lot of story around this, right? With your own personal story. It's like the over hyper control, right? And trying to control everything and we get really rigid. So we're in that trauma response. And then chaos is the, I'm just going to eat everything in the fridge. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know. And so I think because my whole childhood, the way that I coped with my trauma was rigidity, was I'm hiding all of this. I'm not letting anyone know it. I'm going to get perfect grades. I'm going to be the top of my class. I'm going to do every single thing right so that I could get out of here. Once I got out, you know, and I, I tell people I'm like a recovering overachiever, chronic overachiever. And, you know, I graduated the top of my class. I was class president, drumline captain, got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. And I get to LA. And first thing that happened was I flipped into chaos, right? So I think, oh, well, I'm free now, but really I'm having just as bad of a trauma response it's just flipped to the other side. So now I'm having sex all over the place, doing drugs everywhere, like wild, you know, totally wild out and still getting great grades and graduating the top of my class. So there's like, you know, but but it really, um, high school was very, high school and college were like very wild for me in a way. Um, in high school, it was much more hidden. I guess it was always hidden. Um, and so it's just important for us to think about these ways in our lives that sometimes we think we're healed, but yeah. really we've just gone into either a control or mm-hmm. a chaotic uh, it's coping brilliant. mechanism. Yeah. And I was just talking about rigidity and chaos um, last week oh, um, with someone. And I, I, you know, another way, it's brilliant. And, and another way to say it, you know, how, how I experience it, you know, with living life as a whole body instrument is that there is, when you're home in your body, like when you're home in your mind and body, there is a, essentially to me, and this might be my woo-woo side, not my research scientist side, which is that there is a you that you are, Yeah. right? There's a you that you are. And then there's these other potential layers of interpretation and distortion and rigidity and where I went to with obsessive compulsive disorder, where you went to in your hyper control, um, hyper achieving place is one level of distortion and then the other side is that polarity of chaos right and you're spot on because you find that what occurs for a lot of people who've gone through trauma is that they they can swing back and forth 
or they can even become a rebellion of the one that's what usually they chose. Yeah, that's usually You're right. And so they're living that rebel thinking that's the successful them transformed experience. However, what occurs when it's neither of those, you know, and what happens when the motivation shifts? So, so you get here and suddenly you're in chaos in high school and what would, what were the underlying narratives that actually were haunting you? You know, from everything you've experienced with your trauma at that point before you'd like really gone into the shadow work, what were the underlying motivation? What, what were the voices telling you still about yourself? Yeah. Before, so going back to this time all the way through high school, all the way through, not all the way through college, all the way through the first year of college when it really all came to a dramatic head, which I can talk about later, um, the underlying narrative for me was I am not good enough. Hmm. That's it. I'm not good enough, you know, and I, and it's something that still comes today, you know, but I've related to it a lot differently now, or I try my best to, but it's just no matter what, it's never enough. Yeah. And truly, and also like, I'm not enough. And the real me is to be hidden. Like Mm -hmm. the real me has, I have to present some version of myself that's like perfected. Wow. And that presented version of me, that's the one, cool. Presented Justin, he's fucking on point. He's so on point. He's always on point. It doesn't matter if he was hung over the night before, he is on point. The just, the real Justin, he better, he's hidden somewhere and he better not be seen. Otherwise he's going to be in trouble and caught. You know, so those mm. two things together were pretty real for me. That's so amazing, man. What, what clarity. And, you know, you talked about, you know, that we have to be able to see it. You know, the, the part of shadow work, which we'll go into in a sec, is about being able to witness, you know, I, I would call it, you know, our perspective, you know, that first doorway to mental health, you know, turnaround to me is perspective. Yeah. You know, can we witness the very happenings going on in ourselves? And, um, you know, that's such clarity. And so take us to the breaking point. Take us to that place where <sighs> where you were at the top, everything was in its right place, you were presenting, perfection was all over you, and and yet yeah. a breakdown happened. So, gosh, this poor poor little guy, man. Like, I think back to this, this, this version of me, this kid. Um, and so I'm in high school. I'm in college. It's my freshman year of college. I... Literally, if I checked every box of success there was to check, like there was no box left unchecked and checked with like the brightest gold star possible, right? I'm in LA now. I'm, my whole external circumstance is completely shifted. You know, I'm in LA. I'm totally free. I have hella money for the first time in my life because I got, I got hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships. And after getting all those scholarships, I got a full ride to UCLA. So I had money. I was living in this ritzy neighborhood. I'm out of the closet. I'm totally free. I'm in the top major at UCLA. And I have this moment sitting on my dorm room floor, which I'll never forget, where I looked in the mirror when I was struggling with a pretty bad eating disorder, which you and I wrote a song about, you know? And I looked in the mirror and I said, how is it? I was just crying. Like, how is it that I've done everything and I'm still miserable? Like, how? 
And that is the actual, was the actual breaking point for me. Cause I was like, I've done everything. Like this whole future that I imagined, like I remember being 16 and going to visit colleges. And I had this vision of what my life would be when I like moved to LA. And like the life that I was living was better than that, like was better than the vision. And inside I felt like shit. Yeah. You know, and, and I think we all have these moments where we're trying to change our external circumstances, hoping that it's going to mm -hmm. change something inside of ourselves. And then we're chasing yeah. our tails around and around. We all have these moments. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, the, the eating disorder thing feels important to mention because I think this was like, again, the control, like going to rigidity, chaos, rigidity. So I get to LA, the gay scene is so toxic in terms of body image stuff and this and that. Yeah. And I ended up developing like just a slamming eating disorder that thank God didn't last for too long. It lasted about a year. And I, so right now I weigh about 165, maybe a little more because of COVID. <laughs> but like I'm, I'm about six feet tall. I weigh about 165. <laughs> And I weighed 115 pounds, twirled at the end of my wow. freshman year of college. Oh, I did not know that. 115. And I thought I was fat, you know? So, yeah. and I think that was my, something in me in a trauma response, like, what do I have to fix? Yes. There's something to fix, you know, and not being able to figure out what it was. So that's, that that's was the amazing. breaking point. So, and thank you for sharing that. So, so just so we can un unpack that mechanism a little bit together, you know? Um, you know, what, what were the rituals, you know, what were the behaviors that you found yourself in, you know, to, Ooh. you started to hone in on this body image that you felt fat, that so you felt all of this unlovable, not good enough, all of these feelings. And yeah. it suddenly took on a behavior called, um, abstaining from eating or doing certain behaviors to get yourself to one fifteen. What were the rituals like? Oh man, no one's ever asked me, um, to go in. Usually people like leave it right there like leave Not the me. hot cold there, you know? So <laughs> I appreciate me. this. I actually appreciate this because it actually like anchors me into my heart and really makes me go back, mm. you know? Um, yeah, well, behind the mechanism of that question is a mechanism of behavior. The, the, the small voices within you, you know, that were, it's really not the subject, it's the mechanism to me, you know? Yeah. So what were those, what was it calling you to do? So the actions, you know, that I was taking was really the goal of it was like, make yourself look perfect mm. so that you will be loved and accepted and validated and, and love yourself. Like I was wanting to look in the mirror and see some certain version of myself that was never going to be seen because it was a moving target. Yeah. And like really going into the actions, I mean, it started out not innocent, but it started out like, oh, I'm gaining the freshman 15, time to lose it you know? And so like starting extra working out of the gym and then it was like the South beach diet. And then it went from the South beach diet very quickly to like the, what a water pill things. And then right. the water pill things, recognizing that work to like stop eating salt. And then it turned into bulimia. Cause then I was like going from these crazy diets to rebelling against the diets, like you said, and then right. going complete chaos. So then I would go into the dining hall at UCLA, which was amazing and eat everything. And then yeah. I remember thinking, fuck, I just ruined everything because I just ate it all. Oh, I could just go throw it up. So I would just literally eat and just throw up. Like it was like yeah. a ritual. Like I would eat and throw up and eat and throw up. And then I 
one day burst a blood vessel in my eye, in my eyeball wow. throwing up. So I thought, oh my God, I can't keep throwing up because then I'm going to burst a blood. And I had to tell everybody, oh, I like sneezed and something happened. Like I made up some crazy lie. And what's right. crazy is when that happened, my parents were actually on campus. They were there for like parents week. And I went to the bathroom to throw up and I came back and they were like, what's wrong with your eye? Wow. You know? And so then I was like, well, I can't do this anymore. So then I, cause I was like, I don't want to get caught. So then I started anorexia and I yeah. had this rubber band. My mom remembers this. I had a rubber band on my wrist and my mom asked me, why do you have that rubber band on your wrist? And I was like, oh, it's just something me and my friends are doing. And if I got hungry, we used to pull the rubber band as hard as you can and then snap it to your wrist to create oh, pain. Yes. So you would associate hunger with pain and you wouldn't want to eat. And yeah, I mean, it, it really ended badly. Like it ended, I mean, I guess <laughs> badly, but good, you know, because <laughs> I was during finals week, I was on day nine of an ice fast where I was just eating ice for nine days. And I, I think had taken Adderall to study and I was in the gym running on the treadmill and I collapsed while the treadmill was wow. going. I just fell like My Gumby, you know, and that was kind of the breaking point, the real break point that I was, that it was like, I had to do something about it. Cause I had then like actually hurt myself, you know? Um, and went to yeah. therapy. And, and then that was the first turn towards an opening of, of looking at myself. I don't, cause even during all of this, I don't know that I had any agency or understanding of how to look outside of myself. Right. I didn't have that yet. You know, would you say that, 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 that perspective was born in that breakdown? Would you say that? Yeah. That shift shocked you to see, wait a minute, you know, I'm mortal, you know, I need to, like, would you say that was the well, aha moment? The aha moment was, was actually this. The aha moment was going to therapy, which was a huge secret. Like no one in my family knew that I went. It was so taboo. And meanwhile, like my, yeah. I, I think about, you know, just to go with my, like my family, like the whole, as long as everything looks perfect, like here, they're watching me over a year, go to 115 pounds with a, you know, whatever they've seen yeah. me, I'm going home and nobody says anything. You know what I mean? Like no one says it. They would have, oh, you know, Justin moved to LA. Look, he's all skinny now. Like that was kind of the thing, you know, like, oh, he's right. skinny. He's one of them LA boys, you know? <laughs> and like, so then I'm even feeling more validated because, yeah. oh, wow, they're loving that how I look because I'm skinny. So let me keep going. So it, it, that element's also an interesting thing. And it is but, very... but the break, the, the switch perspective point was going to therapy and the therapist saying these words to me, which I'll never forget. He said, it seems like young man, you've spent your whole life trying to find your happiness outside of yourself. And wow. it's time that you learn to find your happiness within. And I had never heard that. Like I had never, I literally was like, within, where? Like, what are you right. talking about? I, I had only heard there's like this God out here who I'm kind of having issues with because my church just disowned me. Yeah. And then there's me doing all this stuff. So w within what, you know? Yeah. And that was my first turn, like gaze towards, wait, there's another place that I haven't looked. That's amazing. That was the, the first turn. Yeah. 
Oh, amazing. So in that moment, and this, I mean, so many great things that you just said, and I, you know, I want to just take a moment to, to say that, you know, so much of our society, right, the projected society, culture, the global village that we live in accidentally perpetuates dis-ease and dysfunction because the external is projected, yeah. right? So the, these, these, these themes or these like undigested wounds of, of all of us, you know, the motivation to be perfect, to, to be in control, to be rigid or chaotic, that rigidity is celebrated in culture and so in family community accidentally and so is chaos, you know, like, and the classic example is an Amy Winehouse, totally. right? someone who just self-destructed in front of everyone in the media and everyone watches along yeah. like it's a car wreck. Exactly. So I just wanted to take note of that because that's, that's something I'm very passionate about demystifying and calling bullshit on um, is how we have actually celebrated and empowered mental illness and emotional illness uh, because of our strange, almost macabre fascination with it because we haven't quite embraced it. So I would say what you just touched on there, Andy, family, is happened to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the tormented artist, but by God, the show that night was going to be great because he hadn't he'd been in a room doing rituals mm-hmm. for two days. But that show on Friday nights can be amazing. So it was like an accidental reinforcement. And so instead of celebrating the crazy in its unhealed form, we can embrace the crazy, yeah. and we can move through it and see the gifts that emerge from it. Right, so I just want to touch on that because I too, tr- truly believe you are that ambassador in the world. I see myself in you and you have your own gateway of that very thing that we're going to touch on. So I just wanted to share that. You know, I wanted to ask you know, what, what occurred, what opened and, and how did you move from that moment of, you know, excellent, gray day, money, everything in its right place. And how did you pivot? Like what occurred right in that moment for you to start living out the gifts through that breakdown? So it was (laughs) a total miracle, totally like act of God miracle that what happened in the next few weeks. Um, And I think the collapsing on the treadmill moment was, you know, that was the, are you going to wake up or not moment? You know, because I was going down a bad road and I left the therapist's office and you know, he's talking all this stuff. Now people have to put context here. Like I am a, at that point, an 18 year old queer black boy from the hood who's in Mm -hmm. his first year in Los Angeles. And while some people in different communities and cultures have heard about all this meditation and this and that, like I had never heard of any of that stuff. Like there was, Oprah had not done a meditation challenge yet. Like there were no black people doing any of this stuff, you know? And so I go to Borders bookstore that night, if people remember Borders. And I, <laughs> I, I go with my hoodie on, literally like incognito and some glasses, no joke, like huge like Dior glasses or some ridiculous thing that, you know, when celebrities used to wear the big glasses, I was doing that. Yeah. And I walk into Borders and I go to the self-help section because I'm thinking, you know, he had said something about you should try to find a book of something. So I go, I don't know. So I go to the self-help section. I close my eyes and I literally close my eyes and I said a prayer to, I don't know who at that moment, but I just said, just please give me exactly what I need to see. And I literally reached out my hand and like moved it from side to side. And I stopped with my eyes closed and I pulled out a book 
And the book that I pulled out was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. And that book, I recommend it everywhere I go. I've recommended it in the back of my own book that I've written now. Yes. And literally reading that book changed it, it like opened a perspective up for me completely of spirituality, of your thoughts and how they have an impact on what you're doing, on seeing yourself, on having a soul, on all, just everything like that. I've never heard of any of these things. Yes. And that set me on this crazy journey of what I call becoming like a self-help junkie for my 20s, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, getting discovered, I guess you can say, by this incredible meditation teacher named Lauren Roche, who's like one of the world's leading teachers. He did all the studies at Harvard and Yale and like has been teaching for 40 or 50 years in the United States. And he found me with the most random of circumstance that I won't get into. And he just literally took me under his wing and he said, all right, kid, like if you feel like this practice is helping you, I'm going to teach you everything I know. Yeah. And I asked him why, like I'm this 19 year old kid and here's this 60 something year old white dude saying, I'm going to teach you everything I know about mindfulness and meditation and healing. And he said, the reason I'm going to teach you everything is because in all my 40 years of teaching, I've never seen someone who's your age, who looks like you and who's been through what you've been through, who's been interested in this practice. And one day I think there are going to be people who need to hear your voice, who don't need to hear mine. And how, how true was that Dude, statement? Who know? would have known, you know, who yeah. would have known? And so that, that's what opened the door. A lot of grace, a lot of angels, a lot of people coming in. Amazing. So say his name again. Lauren Roche. Lauren mm. Roche. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lauren. Yeah. How amazing. And we each, um, we each have a Lauren, you know. Um, and if you haven't had a Lauren yet, you will. You know, you will if you ask. Um, and, and a patient, I believe we all have a Lauren. We have the Laurens and we have to be ready to listen to the Lauren. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. So this opened up this whole path. You know, when I first met you, uh, you were deep into your path in, in mindfulness, in meditation, in the, the yoga world. Um, I just want to bring in, before we jump into the conversation around perfection, I just want to bring in how we met. Yeah. And firstly, what an honor it has been to, to have met you in this dream you got to reclaim. Yeah. And your story with your grandmother is just so beautiful and such a, such a moment where you reclaimed a part of your voice that you longed to have at the forefront or at least integrated into your world. And to, to this day, being the artist, being the recording artist, being the singer you are alongside the transformational coach, leader, author um, that you are. Um, it's integrated, it's seamless, and I've been a part of that journey. It's just such an honor to be part of that. Take me to that moment where you realized something was missing in your expression and what happened. Yeah, so um, my, I was 22, 23, I can't remember how old I was at this point, but it was about 10 years ago. Um, my grandmother, who I was very, very, very close to, got diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors told her she had a couple months to live. It was a huge shock to our whole family. She was 67, seemingly young, the glue that hold our family together. She was like, you know, there's Lauren, but before there was Lauren, there was Baca, you know? And in my family, we called my grandma Baca 
And um, so I flew home from LA to go be with her. And to put some context here, you know, I had graduated college. I had started a very successful business, like five employees, office in Santa Monica, like really thriving, like business side of things that was in marketing and in the, in the wellness and yoga world. And I get to my grandma's house, literally get off the airplane, rent a car, drive up, have my suitcase. And I walk in and all my family's in the house. And she immediately just says, shh, it's okay. <laughs> Something's ringing. Bach is calling. So. <laughs> it may be. All right, go ahead. So um, I walk in the house and she just says, shh and motions me to come back into her room. And I'm like, okay. And I like come back into the room. And she said, I've been wanting to talk to you about something for a long time. And now that I know I don't have a lot of time, I'm gonna talk to you about it now. And I'm looking at her like, what could possibly be coming? I mean, this is somebody who I talk to most every day of the week. Like, what did we not discuss, you know? And she just said, if you were in my shoes, and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And I look at her like, what? Like, I'm literally like, what are you even talking about? And she said, get quiet, get still, do that meditation thing you always talk about. Yeah. And what she really said was, and don't open your lips until you're ready to tell me the truth. That's what she <laughs> said after that. So, so close your eyes. And so I close my eyes and she asks it again from like the deepest place in her soul to my soul. She said, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were gonna die in two months, what would you do? And immediately I felt this well of emotions just come like rushing through and I wanted to cry, but I didn't cry because they said only faggots cry when I was a kid. And, and the, I just yeah. blurted out, I just said, I would quit everything in my life and I would record an album. I would do music. Yeah. I would stop hiding myself behind the scenes. Mm. And she looked at me Amazing. and she just said, I know. She's like, baby, I know. That's what she said. And she and and so, you know, the thing is, as it relates to the traumas, I'd always really wanted to do music since I was a little kid. I yeah. had just that always been a big part of the dream for my life when I closed my eyes and I imagined myself. And I never thought I was good enough because I got teased and got bullied. I let all the kids who teased me about being gay and being different make me think I sucked at everything. I let my trauma of growing up in the hood and the need to like be successful to get out of the hood, yes. you know, yes. frame my reference. And I think we all have these things, Toro. Like we all have these dreams and ideas that we don't think are possible for us because somebody mm -hmm. said, or our trauma says, you're too fat, you're too old, you're too ugly, you're too gay, you're not good enough. You should have started before you had kids. You're not trained enough in that. You waited too long. Exactly. And in that moment, my Baca just made me look her in the eyes and she just said, I don't care when, I don't care how, promise me you will do it. Just look me in the eyes and promise me you'll do it. And because you do not break a promise to Baca, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I promised her and that moment, was the moment I, I can't even say my voice woke up. It was a moment that I turned to my voice and said, all right, let's do this. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Yeah. 
And then it was a whole bunch of mess to get it. You know, you got to go right. through all your shit. It's not just like, ta-da, now I'm going to sing. You know, it's like, you got to go through all but, your stuff. But, you know, it was a flag in the ground yeah. and like, what a commitment, right? Like, so, so for me, my flag was this shooting star moment, which I've told a number of times. shooting star moment, man. And, wow. and I told it in my first episode and yeah. it was a flag. Okay. And like, what more of a glorious flag is your, you know, beloved grandmother who I totally feel like I've gotten to know. You have. But you channeled spirit, her yeah. a few times, Torrance. So. Thank you, Baka. You're amazing. Yeah. And, you know, what a flag to put in the ground. You know, what a commitment you made. And so, you know, and that's the truth is it, it's a messy road, for, you know, like it's better to assume it's going to be a messy dynamic road on route to the reclamation of a dream, yeah. like your voice. And um, I know that you know, you flirted with it. You, you, I remember when we first met you, you'd been singing in every little place that you could. And then we had the opportunity to do the songwriter's journey, you know, our flagship program with you. And it was just such a profound moment to, to be with you as you claimed the music, you know, was in, you know, that was always inside you. Number one, to hear like the voice come out of you that you discovered, Yeah. you know, that wasn't what you had thought that was so much more, that was you, right? And then on top of that, the, the story you told through your album, you know, um, so tell us a bit about your album. Like, tell us just about what was it like to make Metamorphosis? What did it feel like? Um, and from a shadow to gift perspective, what was that like? Yeah, first of all, <laughs> meeting you and Isaac was, uh, it's another, like I talk about meeting Lauren, my baka and there's you so i just need you to know that like that yet i know you know that but it just to make sure everybody who's listening knows that like those these are like when i look back at the history of my life like meeting you and isaac this this was a pivotal moment in my life like the album this dream of an album could never have existed in this form you know with this level of integrity without you and so yeah. Just, Such an honor, you know. Oh thanking God, thank you, because that's there's that, and oh, I just love you. You know, there's so much gratitude, <laughs> and so there's just oh. so much gratitude, man. And you, there's um, the album moment, you know, was really. I, there's so many moments to go into, but I think what I feel called to share is, it was really scary for me in a lot of ways. And it also felt like a dream come true at the same time. And I remember this one particular moment and this is the rigidity chaos. This is the whole thing, right? This is the Trump, the shadow all coming up again. And you'll remember this. It was like, I finished the album, I start doing the work. And I, I had this clarity in my mind around who it is that I wanted to be in the world, which was you know, somebody who was healing and transformational and speaking and teaching and who also was incorporating music. That was like always there. But then when the album came out, I like went into, well, I need to be hot, sexy artist, Justin, you know? Yeah. And like super cool and like wearing all black and like having a six pack and like being half naked in all my pictures. And like, I, try, I went total like artist route, which I had to, but that was me again in some kind of trauma response to try to create an image of the Justin who I imagined would be the successful artist that everybody would fawn over and love. Yeah. Same trauma response from my eating disorder in college. Exactly. Same thing, right? So yeah. we think we're healing, but we're 
literally ping-ponging ourselves back yeah. and forth. We're trying on new subjects with the same mechanism, right? Exactly. With the same response, you know, with the same trauma response, that same motivation. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nuts when you look, you, you know, when you look at it and, and it's, and I have so much compassion for all of us with the way this happens, yeah. because even at that point in my life, even with me teaching, even with all that self-awareness, it still got me, you know, <laughs> and gave me yeah. an opportunity to learn. And so yes. just again, now, you know, in the last few years, it's funny, I like look back at my old pictures and old, some old stuff from my album. And I love what we've created, you know? But I look at like the expression of it sometimes. I'm like, oh, dude, you were so, like, Justin, come on, man. You were just like really trying so hard to be so sexy. And like, that's not <laughs> what you're put on the, in the earth. Like, that's not your thing, you know? Like yeah. Kim Kardashian or Cardi B, like the reason they're them is because something about that expression of them is authentic to them. Yes, but like yes. somebody else trying to be Kim Kardashian and Cardi B, you're like, yeah. ugh, that's so fake. And like, that's yeah, how yeah. I look back. I'm like, Justin, you were trying to be like Miguel <laughs> or Prince. And like, that's just not who you are. You're more like, you know, Oprah who sings, you know? And so, <laughs> and so. <laughs> well, you, you're clearly being harsh on yourself and it's amazing. And there's, there's so many factors. One, you were sexy and are sexy. And what I found watching you discover that because I watched you go into it mm -hmm. um, and I still remember a conversation we had where I said to you you know like what would be amazing is how this integrates and I remember I think but I remember feeling like because you were already had you were already in the artist lane but to me you had to do it yeah I did like I'm sure you wouldn't take it back no because it probably gave you that thing you did that dream you lent into it and by the way for everyone listening you charted on billboard yeah. Um, you had multiple articles written about you. Um, you became, you know, um, very much a musical artist and a spokesperson in the LGBTQ um, conversation. I mean, like you, you actually went from dream to legitimate, authentic recording artist. You did it, right? And what you learned along the way is a classic artist thing. I look back at all the stuff I did. There's some stuff of me back when we were opening for Bon Jovi <laughs> as the kin. And I'm just like, I can't even believe I wore that outfit and had peroxide blonded hair down to my <laughs> nipples uh, with a flying V guitar. So how beautiful that you got to have that experience. And, you know, it's just been such a joy to watch you, not just a joy, an influence to watch how you've integrated and now you this you're a singer, a recording artist, a coach, an author, a program creator, a leader. It's all you. It, How amazing is that? And it's and it's because of the trauma. Like it's because of and this is why I love the embracing element of what you're speaking of when we're embracing crazy, because it really wasn't until I really learned to embrace, to really come close to, to be vulnerable with, to hold all those aspects of myself that I was able to go, oh, I see you. Oh, you know, like, I got, okay, I got you. And, and yeah. to then step into the role of me versus yes. me with a capital M, you know, versus being the puppet string, thinking I'm being my, being myself. So yes. And actually have, be in relationship with all those parts of you. Yeah. That were deemed not okay. Yeah. 
that were all aspects of you, right? And for you to to be you regardless. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of the outcome, you know, I think without attachment to the result that you and the world being shared produces. And that is no small feat. And that maybe is the true definition of integration. Yeah. Is it when, when we can be ourselves regardless um, of that, those identities or motivations that we had to try to fit in yeah. and crack a code of the world. Uh, this pretty much brings us right into perfection. And, you know, what I really wanted to throw to you and have a conversation in as we is also the dis-ease of perfection that yeah. we find ourselves in in the world. How, how has it now... I mean, you've come through so many layers of moving past perfection and into the you that you are. How would you, how do you see the the world in its current state when it comes to that? Perfectionism is a system, Mm. is the way that I look at it. You know, it's a it's a system that profits off of our not enoughness. Yeah, like the fundamental aspect of this system is that you have to continue believing and thinking that you're not enough. And as long as you keep thinking you're not enough, then you will keep investing into the system to try to perfect yourself. It's beautiful. And it's a, that's big, you know, because we, we, it's not just like, oh, one of us woke up in the morning and became perfectionist. Like I think of my little niece who's four, like, you know, she doesn't have that quite yet, you know? And so there's something in the context, like in the same way that we talk about racism or white supremacy or, you know, patriarchy or just all these systems that are in place that go beyond just the individual me. There's a a context that we're in. And what feels really important to name Torald is when you, so perfectionism in the personal growth world looks like this, right? It looks like read this book, biohack this thing, buy this thing, do buy this thing, listen to this podcast, do this thing. And then you'll finally be healed. Like do this 40 day program and you'll finally be healed. And then you'll finally be good enough. You'll finally be worthy. You'll finally get that thing. And then because you've read the book, done the podcast, biohacked the thing, tried the diet, and you're not, mm-hmm. then you buy another program, right? <laughs> you get another thing yep. or you flip to chaos and do the other way. So it gets yes. us kind of stuck in this not enough trauma response. And I think what is so important as it relates to our healing is it's a very different there's a very different way to look at healing Mm. when we're healing, not from a place to fix something that's broken, Mm -hmm. but we're healing from a place to evolve something that's already whole. That's beautiful. Like just because you want to grow doesn't mean you're broken. It's like we're whole and we're making it better. We're Mm. in, engaging with it to evolve it, not even better, not this hierarchy, we're evolving it. And Mm. that's where I've been trying to come from my healing from, because that takes perfectionism completely out of the equation. Doesn't it? It's an entire dispositional shift. You know, to me, what almost killed me, as you know, is, was the motivation, something's wrong and I've got to fix it. Yeah. Well, that's it. That I was so unsafe, so contaminated that I needed to fix the issue clean everything up order things and then i could live my best life right 
I mean, quite honestly, some of my rituals, Justin, were like, it was as if I, you know, if I, in 30 seconds, passed that line on my bike before the 30 seconds was up, and then I would be, like, then I would be in my life. Like, it was like that, touch that 10 times, and then you'll be in your life. It was like the true ritual definition of something's wrong, got to fix it. And what you're saying is there's this different opportunity, and I couldn't agree more, that there's this other opportunity, which is that if you are and you happen to have healing to do, how wonderful, you know, welcome to the work, everyone has it, right? Everyone has their next emergent layer to grow into. They, they, they have their next branch to grow, right? And so if we're already whole and we're not broken, um, that 180 degrees turns the motivation on its head, doesn't it? Completely. It completely shifts it. And it's so beautifully, it's so beautiful how you put it. And so when we step out of the trauma response, it, it's not that we get rid of the trauma response. We just change the motivation underlying it. So it's okay to have a trauma response, but we go from being that response to having that response that we can bring under our wing. Yeah. And I've seen so many times you do that and so many times you lead people to do that process. And, um, you know, there's you know, one thing, Toral, if I yeah, can please. throw in that, um, you know, there's this beautiful Japanese uh, art form called Kintsugi that some people will know of. And Kintsugi, if, once I describe it, you'll see it. It's uh, an actual art form where some glass, something that's glass breaks and shatters. And what they do in Kintsugi is they put it back together, but they don't just put like glue, they put it back together with gold. Wow. And so the gold, it means that because of the shatter, the thing is actually more beautiful. <laughs> and so if you go, if anybody who's listening or watching like Google Kintsugi, you'll see it and you'll go, oh, I've seen this before. I didn't know that's what that was. And it's this beautiful ritual, you know, of in the brokenness, there is beauty. And it leads me it's so cool. And when you look at it, you're like, oh my God, wow. Yeah. This actually is more valuable now because it broke. Yeah. It's not less valuable. It's not that there's something wrong with it forever. It's more valuable in this new form and it can never be recreated in this way because the specific way in which it broke is like only one time it can do that. Right. And if, it, even if that thing breaks again, they just add more gold. Right. And so would you, would you say Justin that, you know, you, this, you know, brought together with all the f beautiful golden fractures that you walk and live your life with, would you would you take any of those fractures, any of those breakdowns, any of those traumas back now that you're living in the gift of them? Would you take them back? No, mm -mm. not anymore. And and mm -hmm. um, you know, we have this very. This is something that I that I really like to speak on and teach on is in the kind of mm, colonization of our wellness and of our human potential and our personal growth. There's this forward facing movement that says progress is only counts if you're moving forward or climbing up, right? And even though sometimes we might not wanna believe that, but that's really what, it, what we think of for most of us as a subconscious belief. I'm either moving yeah. forward or I'm progressing upward of a ladder. And that's me progressing, that's me growing. But we have to, shift that completely because progress is really sometimes like the lostness that we get mm. into. Like sometimes we're going forward and we do something that shatters us, 
that shatters our worldview, that shatters our perspective. And in that lostness, that feels like you've moved, quote unquote, backward. The gift is now that you're lost, guess what? You have to put yourself back together. You have to find yourself again. And in that putting back together, there's progress. And so we have to get out of this, that only forward or upward is the trajectory of our growth. It's in all directions and it's leading us towards a bigger evolution. That's amazing. Yes. And I couldn't agree more. You tell us, tell me a little bit or tell us all a little bit about, you know, the ways in the world that you're moving. Firstly, you know, what a time. It's been so amazing to watch you through 2020 through the opening of racial justice in this country Um, and the way you've been a leader, the way you've been spoken to diversity and also just your, the way in which you've brought transformation and and your healing work to everybody. And this is for, you know, I really get that you really represent for all walks of life, this conversation. Um, What has it been like? What's it been like to be Justin Michael Williams in 2020? What's that been like to to step in? going into 2021, it's a space that I never would have expected that I'd be leaning into as much as I am. Um, But it's a space that I'm like born to be in, you know, and I feel that. Um, And nobody like desires to be doing racial healing work, but you, I think, get called into it, (laughs) you know? And my, um, my experience is this, and I'll be super transparent, is... I'm actually not interested in talking about what we're fighting against. All of my work is here to help us see what we're moving toward. So what I do is I'm here to bring people together across divides. I'm here to help people heal the wound, to help people step into the vision, to help people look at the shadow, not because you're defined by it, right? But because as you, as you learn to embrace it, like you said, there's this huge opening and this applies all this work that we're talking about applies on a personal level and a collective level because a nation, a country is just a collection of individuals. That's all it is, mm-hmm. right? It is, we're just individual people that happened to be in a group that we call a country, you know? Yeah. And, and so how do we do the work? It's from the inside. And so that's, that's what really all my work's about. And, and so I have, right now, it looks like my book that's out in the world, which is called Stay Woke. And Brilliant through book. a lot of different online offerings that, are, um, that I make as accessible to everyone who needs them through scholarships and, you know, programming. And um, people always ask me at the end of interviews, like, how do we find you? I'm like, I'm the easiest person to find. Like, just type Justin Michael Williams wherever, like Spotify, Google, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, like you'll find me. And hopefully yes. you find something there that can that can help you. That's beautiful. And and the kingdom, oh, uh, which you've been up to on Sundays, yeah, which is amazing. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, so that's been, so we're in like week 30. Can you believe that? It's um, amazing. It's so I started something again with the aim of bringing people together across what are perceived as divides called the kingdom. Every Sunday, it's free online. And I tell people it's like, imagine if church, Super Soul Sunday, and a TED Talk had a baby. 
Like that's the energy baby. and it's a good baby. And so there's, we bring wisdom teachings from tons of different traditions. We, you know, bring special guests in, we have live music and it's really a place for people across all religious or non-religious even divides to come together in a space of hope and positivity to reclaim themselves every Sunday. And we have thousand, thousand, we like hit 1200 people last Sunday is really amazing from like 36 countries or something it's like nuts if it calls you be there yeah. at the kingdom with justin michael williams. it's all on my and website you've got you've got new music coming out everything's at justinmichaelwilliams.com yeah. justin uh if you had three steps that you could leave as a, a crack in a door for people to to understand um how to embrace their crazy you said, "Hey, this is how I would embrace crazy in in your life if I was you." How, what would you What would you share? Three steps. Three steps. Okay. Yeah. Step one is your trauma doesn't define you, but how you create meaning from your trauma does. Mm. And so we have to look at this part of our lives in a big way, and. That leads to step two, which is spend as much time and commitment and dedication on your internal work as you're doing in your external world. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that to say that the external work doesn't matter. And you could apply this individually and collectively. I'm, I'm talking from external work all the way from your family stuff all the way to social justice and change. Yes. And the reason why I'm saying we have to focus on the internal work is because if we don't, then all the external work that we're doing doesn't have the lasting impact we want it to have. Right. And finally, I think I'll leave people with this just to really, you know, well, I, I do want to leave people with a book recommendation other than mine. Um, so my book is called Stay Woke, but there's another book that has really helped heal me and look at shadow work in a really concrete way. And it's called Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark. And it's by mm -hmm. Robert Augustus Masters. And it's an incredible book um, that will help you have a deeper understanding of shadow work and healing. And uh, yeah, that feels really important. And, and there's another book for men called To Be a Man that Robert wrote called, that's mm -hmm. also related to the same topic. So Amazing. Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark and To Be a Man. And then finally, I'll say... You know, there's a big difference between change and transformation. Mm -hmm. Things change all the time. We change clothes, we change presidents, we change laws, we change relationships, we change houses, we change schools, we change cities, like we've talked about in this. None of those changes ever last or have the lasting impact we want them to have if we haven't transformed if we haven't gone through a transformation. And once something transforms, it can't go back to what it was, yeah. right? There's an actual evolution, an actual metamorphosis. Exactly. Which is why I called my album that, you know? Yes, and, you did. Yeah. And so what I'm calling people into is to a deep level of transformation. And, you know, hopefully even this conversation today and, and, and anything that I'm able to offer is able to help them, help you all do that. Oh, it already has. And you're an absolute example of what occurs when you walk through your breakdown into breakthrough, through the wounds and uh, bring the 
darkness of the shadows and bring those shadows out into the light and into your gift and, and then do something that could be of only the highest purpose, which is to share what you discovered. And I love you so much, brother. Love you too. Um, well, well done and can't wait to be in the world with you more. Yeah. Um, go find Justin, everybody. And thank you so much. This has been Embracing Crazy. I'm Toral Corrin, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Justin. Will you even talk?